Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got Graham. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry County Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Well, it's been a tough week to say the least. First, the Saints on Monday. Last night, the Pelicans fall to the Kings at the Smoothie King Center. Hi again, everybody. I'm Sean Kelly. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Yeah, it's been a less than a festive week for our team's that's for sure. Both uh, now combined 0-2 during this Thanksgiving week. We'll hope that turns around later for both sides. And we'll talk about what lies ahead for both the Saints and the Pelicans throughout our show today as our guests are set and ready to go. Jim Henderson, voice of the Saints, will join us to talk about Monday Night Football and this week's upcoming game against the Steelers. And David Wesley on a Wesley Wednesday has some thoughts about the Pelicans' loss to the Kings last night and the upcoming road trip versus Atlanta and Washington. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, by the way. Glad you're with us here on our final show of this holiday week. We'll put a wrap on things here for the Black and Blue Report this Wednesday, and then there'll be no podcast tomorrow or Friday, as you'll all be out shopping, I'm sure, later on this week. Football week begins tomorrow, and of course, we've got the traditional Thanksgiving games involving the Cowboys and the Lions, and so we better get your fantasy football lineup set. And as always, on Wednesday, Daniel Salerson sits down with Jake Seeley from rotoexperts.com to talk fantasy football here on the brink of another NFL weekend. So we've got a very busy show for you. We'll talk a little Thanksgiving, too, as we go throughout. We'll get the thoughts on not only football and basketball from Jim and David, but the Thanksgiving table at their homes as well. Should be a very entertaining show. Glad you're with us. Stay with us as we will get to Jim Henderson right after this. Stay up to date on the latest breaking New Orleans Saints news by downloading the team's official app presented by Verizon. Check out the 2014 schedule, league standings, and statistics. Plus, have access to watch live press conferences with Coach John Payton and players while reliving your favorite Saints moments. The Saints app makes the perfect game day companion with a detailed map of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome highlighting the facility's amenities. The free New Orleans Saints app presented by Verizon is available to download on iTunes and Google Play. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice 
to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Hi, it's Mark Romig. When I'm not announcing touchdown Saints, I'm listening to the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Usually we get to visit with Jim Henderson, the voice of the Saints, on Thursdays because of Thanksgiving tomorrow and no show. We get him on Wednesdays. Gracious enough to join us. And not only do we say hello, Jim Henderson, but we say happy Thanksgiving to you and your family here. And the same to you, my friend. I hope you have a very happy one. I know it'll be a short one for you with a flight to Atlanta, but um, time with your family around the holidays is precious no matter how much you get. No doubt, and I appreciate your time as well as you uh, not only are having holiday with your uh, family, but also preparing on a short week here for the New Orleans Saints. It just seems like moments ago we were leaving the Mercedes-Benz Superdome following that disappointing loss against the Baltimore Ravens. The uh, Saints are back to work full go today, and now they get ready for a Steelers team that's well-rested on Sunday. Now let's start with the Monday night game, I guess, Jim. And and, uh, it seemed like Monday night was – whether you want to look at it as a continuation of what's been going on or just a flat-out case study of what's happened to the Saints this season? Well, I think uh, we saw some of the same old problems. Um, the running game is now essentially, for the most part, <coughs> vanished again, so it's all on Drew's shoulders. And he responded with a, with a big game with three touchdowns, but, of course, he had that costly pick again. And it seems like almost everyone he throws results in a touchdown either initially or begins a drive that results in a touchdown. So... You look at two plays in that game, two huge plays, first and goal at the one and don't come out of it with a single point on the Saints' first possession, and then the pick six. And the, uh, the interesting stat, I think now since 2010, the Ravens are 9-0 and when they have a touchdown return uh, defensively. And that is such a huge statistic and one the Saints are never able to take advantage of. There seem like there are a lot of factors here. And, of course, we have the Super Bowl season to compare and contrast to. But even the other successful seasons under Sean Payton and Drew Brees, Jim, there are just some real telltale signs of when you get things like you just mentioned with the Ravens or you don't get things like the Saints have suffered through this season, it just it equally or it directly, I guess, relates to wins and losses in this league. It does, and I think you can only for so long credit it, well, the bounces just didn't go our way. Sometimes you make your own bounces, and that was what happened back in 2009. You almost counted on the Saints having a return for a touchdown in a game. I think they had something like nine of them that year, and we talked about this last week. It's coming up on the two-year anniversary of the Saints returning an interception for a touchdown. So they, they, they get nothing cheap. They get nothing cheap through special teams or their defense. No doubt. And have you ever seen a team, and I know that the, the Saints are not the only ones in this particular NFL campaign. I think there's three teams actually, but when it comes to special teams, not only are they not getting the breaks, but it seems like their opponents are getting everything. No one has missed a field goal against the Saints this season. And in yeah, a lot of these games incredible. where it's seven points or less, it's pretty remarkable. You know, it really is. And we almost had to chuckle about it last week um, when they hit that, I think it was a 55-yarder in the second half. Is anybody ever going to miss against this team? And I guess that's what happens when when you're going badly. And there've been so many. I think it's this now maybe five. I'd have to look at my notes, but I think this is five successful field goals against the Saints on kicks over 50 yards. That's amazing. 
It's equally amazing, Jim, when you look at the Saints and where they are with, what, five games to go. There's still this chance out there of winning the NFC South and finding a way into the playoffs. I started looking at schedules a little bit. Atlanta still has to play the Cardinals. The Packers has to come to New Orleans in their final five. And while both teams control their own destiny, here are the Saints even in all the head-scratching and frustration that's boiled up into this, you know, what we have now. It's amazing what can happen over the final month. Well, it truly is. And a couple of years ago, the NFL got the idea to backweight these schedules so you're playing a lot of your division opponents in the last four to try to keep things interesting. And they couldn't have done a much better job. Three of the four opponents the Saints will face over the last quarter of the season will be opponents from the NFC South. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's all out there for them to do it, but uh, sometime they're going to have to. And they're at 4-7. and seven. Atlanta's got the tiebreaker because they had to head at 4-7. and seven. Carolina's 3-7-1. and one. And I saw a report out of Tampa there asking Lovey Smith, well, at 2-9, and nine, is, it start to look, is it time to start looking at some of these younger players? And he goes, heck no. He said, we're still right in the hunt at 2-9. and nine. It is amazing. But whether it's Tampa Bay or Atlanta or New Orleans, what indicators, if any, Jim, at this point, allows you to believe that one of them can make the run to finish this thing? Well, if you looked at the way each of them is playing, nobody's playing well. Everybody but the Saints in the division has had at least a five-game losing streak. Carolina most recently, they're on one. Atlanta's had one. Uh, Tampa Bay, I think, just broke one. So uh, if the Saints with a three-game losing streak uh, probably are counting their blessings, I I really think it'll be stretched to four on Sunday, but that remains to be seen. Um, I think think it's going to come down between Atlanta and New Orleans, despite what you cite with the Atlanta schedule and that that certainly gives you pause to think about what they have to do down the stretch. But um, I don't know if there are any really good teams out of this division, but I still think it comes down to the Saints in Atlanta. Jim, you mentioned the challenges just briefly a moment ago about the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. And I know I'm catching you a day earlier than we normally visit, but what are your initial thoughts about a team that's coming off a bye and has won four of their last five? That's right, won four of their last five. Um, And they're getting healthier. Uh, They could have as many as five players back this week that they haven't had recently, among them Jarvis Jones, Ike Taylor, Ryan Shazier, Troy Palomalo. They may all be back this week, Um, most of them defensively, all of those players defensively, and that certainly doesn't give you a lot of uh, great hopes for the Saints offense to go up there. It looks like the weather's going to be in the low 50s with rain. It's always a tough place to play. It's always a a difficult field to play on, difficult environment and uh, it'll be Pittsburgh Steeler-type weather. So um, those are some of the challenges they face. And then you look at the offense, the way it's going right now, and they've got the triplets going, Le'Veon Bell at running back, and we all know Ben Roethlisberger. Antonio Brown's having a great year at wide receiver. He's averaging eight receptions a game and uh, 88 total receptions through 10 games. So, um, And you got a Le'Veon Bell coming off a career high against the Titans. 33 carries for 204 yards. He's had 300-yard games. Uh, he's becoming one of the best backs in the NFL. In fact, I saw this week with um, with what Justin Forsett did. Uh, he is now, I think, third in the NFL in rushing, and the two guys ahead of him are DeMarco Murray, who the Saints have already been gashed by, and Le'Veon Bell, who's next up. There's no doubt about that. Do you take any pause whatsoever in the fact that during this nice stretch that the Steelers have had, they stumbled against a horrible Jets team? And they got beat up pretty bad by the Browns earlier this season. It seems like every once in a while, Pittsburgh can trip up and fall and fall in a big way. Yeah, you know, their defense, of course, they've had 
those players absent uh, much of the time with injuries, but they've given up a lot of big plays, 40 plays of 20 or more yards. Uh, their pass rush has been very inconsistent, though they have won four of their last five. And, boy, you look at that one stretch, though, when Ben Roethlisberger against the Ravens and the Colts, six touchdowns in each game, 862 yards, 77, 76% completion. Um, and you know what you're going to get with him. He's going to stand in the pocket. He's going to take a lot of sacks. He was sacked five times by the Titans. But a really interesting statistic I think I read this morning is uh, he's got a 76% completion rate when he's pressured. So he's he's willing to stand in there at such a, a big frame as he has. He has such a big frame, he's willing to stand in there. He's willing to, to, to take the sack and uh, extend plays for as long as he can. And uh, so even though he's taken a lot of sacks uh, and you pressure him and you hit him, that's not always going to deter him from throwing the ball downfield and making a big play. Jim, when we hear the conversation about who are the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, obviously Drew's name comes up and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and then there's a couple of fringe guys, but it seems like sometimes Ben Roethlisberger is left off that list for whatever reason. When you look at what he's able to do currently and what he's done now over a sustained career, is he underrated in your, in your eyes or is he overlooked in some way? Oh, I think so. You know, he's won a couple of Super Bowls. Uh, he's not the flashiest guy in the world. But he's perfect for their offense. And, um, see, I think he's underrated in, in a lot of ways. Um, you look at the Steelers, and we were having this discussion the other day uh, at Fox 8, and they, they don't panic. They don't panic in the front office. They don't pack, panic in, in ownership. <clears throat> they don't pack, panic on the sideline. And they always draft and get tough players. They're always going to be a physical team year in and year out as they are now. Heinz Field. Jim, you mentioned the weather. Tell me what it's like at that place. It'll be my first visit there on Sunday. Well, you know, the last time we were there, what I recall about it, <clears throat> was um, Reggie Bush fumbling down near the goal line inside the five-yard line when it looked like the Saints were going to go in and win the game. It's a late afternoon game on a Sunday. gets overcast up there so early now in the fall. Uh, it's a very depressing attitude, and the Steelers contributed to that most times. So um, I had I'm trying to think if we've even been there prior to that. I'm not sure that we have, but I know most recently uh, it was with Reggie <clears throat> and uh, him fumbling. So that had to have been 2006, and then they came here in 2010, and now we're back there in 2014. So that's what I remember about that game. Jim, if you were the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, based on what you've seen here lately, and if you could fix one thing going into Sunday, what would be at the top of your list? Uh, run defense. Um, you know, it was amazing what Justin Forsett did the other night. You had to think this is a guy you had to stop, came in with the highest yards per carry average in the NFL. They don't have a great passing attack. And the way that he, he gashed them on first down runs, I think he averaged like 9.6 yards per carry on first down runs. His first touch of the game goes 38 yards. And the Saints could never slow him down, particularly on the early downs. And that's all the Ravens need, you know. Now Flacco can stand in there and go with play action that has to be honored by your defense. And so to me, it looked very much like the Cowboy game. They never stopped DeMarco Murray. They very seldom stopped Jeremy Hill against Cincinnati the week before. And now Justin Forsett rips them apart. And uh, the Steelers have, have more weapons, uh, I would say, than the Ravens do uh, with, with the season that Antonio Brown's having. So... If they don't stop Le'Veon Bell, 
on Sunday. There's no chance for this team. All right. Well, we'll track that for sure. Uh, one last question, Jim, and maybe more importantly than anything else, as you gather your family tomorrow at Chateau Hondo, um, what's the <laughs> must-have on the Thanksgiving table? What better be there to make it all complete? Actually, gumbo. Um, my son loves gumbo, and it goes back to a holiday tradition. When we moved to the North Shore, uh, we were re- renovating our house, so we didn't really have a kitchen to prepare food for over Thanksgiving. So we went to a restaurant up in Hammond, and he had six bowls of gumbo. So uh, we've got to have gumbo. We have the traditional fried turkey and things like that, chocolate pie or pecan pie, our must for dessert. And uh, I would say those are at the very top of the list. But the most important thing is just having fun uh, with my family around, getting a chance to see the grandkids grow up and adopt some of the traditions that we have always honored that they have now taken as their own. So that's the most special thing. That's the, the biggest part of the holiday table is having them around it. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And I know that you have a special uh, Christmas outfit, and we'll get to that in December. But is there a special item that is uh, worn by you on Thanksgiving? Uh, Usually a very full stomach. That's about it. I don't have any particular, (laughs) well, you know, I've got this little pilgrim's outfit that occasionally I'll wear with the hat and the stockings and and the shoes with the big buckles. But I don't know if if I'm ready to break that out again this year. I think that the family may have put that in a garage sale somewhere. Probably a smart move by Mrs. Henderson, that's for sure. Hey, have a great holiday, Jim. Safe travels this weekend. I know it'll be a little dicey going up to Pittsburgh, but I look forward to seeing you at Heinz Field on Sunday. Me too, Sean. Have a safe trip to Atlanta and beyond. Thank you, sir. Jim Henderson, the voice of the Saints, with us here on this Wednesday. Special edition of the Black and Blue Report. We'll come back and write up in just a moment. At the Auctioner Hospital for Children, no matter where you turn, you're surrounded by bravery. Children and teens dealing with health problems beyond their years. Parents working hard to keep the worry from their face. Doctors and nurses doing everything possible to get them back home where they belong. From rare brain tumors and leukemia to heart conditions and organ transplants, we offer a level of pediatric care unmatched in Louisiana with more advanced capabilities than any other children's hospital in the region. Even our kids-only ER can handle any pediatric emergency. In fact, the only thing tougher than the problems we see every day are the kids themselves. Choose the Auctioner Hospital for Children and never wonder if you could have done more. Call 866-AUCTIONER to find an affiliated pediatrician near you. Auctioner, healthcare with peace of mind. Guess what day it is? Hump day! Well, yeah, and it's Wesley Wednesday on the Black and Blue Report. Let's turn our attention now to basketball here on the Black and Blue Report. It is a holiday Wednesday, but a Wesley Wednesday at that. And with that, we welcome in the analyst for Fox Sports New Orleans, David Wesley here on the Black and Blue Report. Good day to you, David. Good day to you, um... It would have been a much better day, and Turkey would definitely go down a whole lot better if we were talking about a win. Yeah, no doubt. Pelicans fall last night to the Sacramento Kings, tripping at home, their only home game of the week. And uh, based on what uh, Coach Williams had to say following the game last night, David, I would imagine that practice for the Pelicans will not be very pleasant today. Well, you know, I'm sure it won't be. Uh, And, again, I'm sure after the game – 
and coaches are frustrated and you know they always tell coaches don't give your post game speech right after just tell them I'll see you tomorrow or see you whenever the next practice is and move on because sometimes it's not as bad as what you watched and sometimes it's not as good as what you thought as well so hold your hold your praise and and hold your scolding until you've actually gone back over and seen the film so um Sacramento's a good team and uh but I don't think in my opinion that they're better than the Pelicans and I'm sure Monty was feeling that way last night when he was given uh given his post game speech and to the media I mean uh I'm sure he was quite disappointed David I didn't have to ask many questions last night because the things that were on my mind were immediately addressed by Monty Williams most notably the lack of touches, especially in key spots, for Anthony Davis? Well, uh, you know, Monty stands right in front of us most of the time. So we watch watch a good portion of the game on our monitors. uh, And I'm sure he could hear us. And not that he needed to hear us, but we were certainly seeing the same thing he was seeing because he had our same angle in, oh boy, he was missed a lot. And you could, for the first time I've seen in a long time, because it's obviously been something that's been talked about. Um, they probably watched film and said, okay, you see this play? All right. Who's ever got the ball right now? You got to give him the ball here. This has got to be delivered. And there was a couple of times that I even said on the air last night, oh, you got to throw the ball. you got to give them the ball. They ran a play that a coach would have been – I mean, when a coach envisions a play, how it goes, and you tell your big, okay, big, don't come all the way across the lane. Stop under the basket and your momentum, and the defender will push you across the lane. Anthony Davis did that. He was standing right under the basket. And the only reason that he would have got to the other side is for three seconds. It was perfect. He didn't get the ball. He didn't get the ball. And the ball was reversed. And I said, oh, boy, he's got to get the ball right there. So I'm sure that – and it happened over and over, and uh, Monty had to be frustrated. There's no doubt about it. And, and, and when you look at the – the game and you take that piece and a few others, there just seemed to be nothing in sync about the Pelicans. And I'm, and I'm curious as to, as to your thoughts on, on why that would be. And is Eric Gordon's absence a player in that scenario? Um, could be the only, the only, the only problem I have with saying Eric Gordon is, is because he, he doesn't handle the ball that much. You know, if that was happening when Drew or Tyreek was out of the game, Maybe, but also that's one less guy to, to, to have to share the ball with. And I, and I did see a little stickiness last night. Um, ball not being passed when maybe it should. And this team is very unselfish. But at times I felt like they didn't make that extra pass, that extra share the ball. So, you know, when, when that starts creeping in, and again, this is a young team, uh, they're they're playing Sacramento, Sacramento, who they just beat. They're coming off a win. 
Everybody sometimes likes some of that glory. Somebody likes some of that credit. And you have to be okay with who you are as a basketball player to say yes. And I asked this question before the season. Are they going to be okay with Anthony Davis scoring 25 a night, getting 20 touches, and everybody else getting the rest? And sometimes your rest may be eight shots. It may be 12 shots. And some nights you might get 18 shots. But it's not going to be a consistent shot distribution with the rest of the guys. And will they accept it? I don't know. It'll be interesting, and I think it's a growing process. We're only 13 games in, David, at 7-6. and six. Um, it, There's still a lot to be told about this team. And now this new wrinkle, as we mentioned, Eric Gordon is now out indefinitely. Last night, Monty Williams slides Tyreek Evans over to the two, at least to start. And Darius Miller gets a shot at the three, much like he did early in the preseason. Um, obviously, Darius didn't have a good game last night. What do you think Monty Williams does from here in trying to figure out now how he wants to shuffle things and then the ensuing rotation behind that? Well, I think that's it, shuffle. Um, he is going to be probing. And, and I've been, uh, of all the things I've been pleased about, I've been most displeased about the ability for guys – to step up when guys get their opportunities to, to make the most of it. Um, I, I love Darius. I root for Darius. It, it's guys like Brian Roberts last year, Darius Miller uh, last year and this year that, you know, I see a little bit of, you know, that a, a little bit of myself in them and I, and I really root for them. I'm saying, okay, you're on the bubble. You're going to get X amount of chances to, a year or a game. Go out there and make the most of it. Go out there, you've prepared, play confident, play hard. And Darius Miller, his biggest weakness is he just doesn't play confident. He doesn't go out there and take a few chances. And, you know, sometimes he, you almost don't even know he's out there on the court. He's not making mistakes, but he's not, he's not making anything happen either. So, um, that's the thing that, that that's going to have coach searching until he finds something and maybe he never finds anything. And he said it last night in his pregame talk. I'll just keep, you know, depends on the game, the matchup, uh, whatever. That's who's going to start. That's who's going to play the majority of the minutes. And uh, he would like some consistent consistency or somebody he knows he could go to on a consistent basis, but he, he really just doesn't have that. Yeah, and I thought last night with Rudy Gay being out that that would be a chance for Darius to shine. And who who'd have thought that Omri Caspi would have stepped up in the way that he did uh, in starting in, in the stead of Rudy Gay? That was <laughs> that was a big key for the Kings last night, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but you had to see a little bit of that. I, I mean, when when you're giving your pregame talk and you're talking about okay, what do we have to watch for tonight? Caspi was was mentioned because he came off the bench in Sacramento and was very solid. I mean, in short minutes. But then you throw him into the starting lineup, and, you know, it, he was one of those guys that just doesn't hit your radar as a player. I could totally mm-hmm. see, you know, those guys, oh, that was a fluke. Sacramento, He, I mean, that's not him. Well, yeah, it's him. And that's one of those guys that can be effective for no reason because it's hustle plays. It's 50-50 balls. It's down and dirty, run hard, those kind of things, run and get a rebound. And therefore, any night he can hurt you, and he certainly did last night. Upcoming road trip finds us uh, through Atlanta and Washington over the weekend. 
And whether it's what Monty Williams wants to do with the small forward position or other thoughts about those two opponents, uh, what's on your mind here, David, as the Pelicans look to kind of get back on track and have to do so against the East? Well, uh, uh, dangerous. Uh, this trip is, is, is two teams that are better, that are playing well, um, that, that on their floor, I mean, very easily could be two losses as opposed to thinking we're going to feast on the East and, and, and you know, go in here and take care of business. Um, the one good thing is the Pelicans have showed that they seem to bounce back well after losses, play well after losses. So I expect them to go in there and beat Atlanta. Um, Washington is going to be a little bit tougher, but um, and Washington's the second game of a back-to-back, so um, that's going to be a little bit tougher. But I, I just uh, I feel like this team will respond. They'll have a, a good day and some change of practice and and come out ready to play. Well, my friend, I, I wish I could. Um say that we're not going to be traveling on Thanksgiving, but we will be. So with that, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to you. And uh, also, I need to ask you before you go, much like I did our other guest today, um, what is, uh, what's the go-to for you on a Thanksgiving? What, what has to be on the table to make it uh, all good for you? Uh, this is going to probably sound a little bit funny, um, but since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, uh, sweet potato fluff. What exactly? I know what sweet potatoes are, but I'm not sure sure I know what sweet potato fluff is. All right, my dad, uh, since I was young, would make this sweet potato. Okay, you know sweet potatoes, if you just mash them up, they have the strings in them, right? Right, Well, right. he blends them with a blender. So the strings wrap around the blender blades, and you take those out. So by the time you blend them all up, at the end, all the uh, sweet potatoes, I mean, all the strings are gone. Then you add sugar, cinnamon, butter, milk, and you continue to whip, throw it in the oven, bam, fluffy sweet potatoes. I'm sure it's been made before. I've never had it made like that in any restaurant, anywhere I've ever been, and it is my... One thing that, like, I I would eat, be done eating, still have another spoon of sweet potatoes. <laughs> well, I'm sure it would be when very good for over, you. Minus... Wait, wait, wait. When the day is okay. over, everybody's laying around on the couch. If, I, if I'm going back in, it won't be for some turkey. It'll be another spoon of sweet potatoes. It's like, so it's like dessert to you almost. Yes. I, I don't even need dessert. That's, that's it. Because, like I said, it has cinnamon and sugar in it and it's awesome wow okay there you go i you know i I'm, I'm not i guess i can't hate on that because i'd, I'd love it too there's no doubt and and i would actually yeah. sit there and pretend that it's good for me oh gosh yes i mean it's got to have something in there that's good it has milk you put milk in it so well yeah. that and sweet potatoes yeah exactly perfect perfect Good stuff, David, um, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow, and uh, we'll hopefully have some uh, safe travel over the uh, Thanksgiving holiday ourselves to Atlanta and Washington. Absolutely, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and all the black and blue listeners. 
<laughs> I appreciate it very much. On a Wesley Wednesday, Thanksgiving style, it's David Wesley with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Daniel Salerson and uh, Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com in just a moment to talk fantasy football before we get to uh, the uh, Thanksgiving football on the menu for tomorrow as well. Back after this. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. Lotto is all across Louisiana with cash jackpots starting at $250,000. That's a whole lot of cash. From the neon lights of Shreveport, Bossier City to the banks of Grand Isle, Lotto is your game. It doesn't leave the state and there's nothing like it anywhere else. It's Louisiana fun just for Louisiana. Lotto, it's a whole lot of cash. Must be at least 21 to purchase. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. As we always do on Wednesday, we bring in Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com. It's our fantasy focus presented by Xbox One. And Jake, uh, I guess for a lot of people, it's playoff time. Happy playoff time to you, my friend. Yeah, well, you're either there or you're basically one week away. It's starting to, if you made it this far, you have to enjoy. That's what you have to be thankful for. It's Thanksgiving week. Absolutely, and actually a lot of good games on Thanksgiving that will affect a lot of people in fantasy. We'll get to your playoff advice in a little bit, but as we always do, we'll start with the Saints. They have a big test on the road against the Steelers, whether it's on the Saints or Pittsburgh. Who is someone on either side to look out for, Jake? I'm actually going to give you a receiver on both sides to look out for, and everybody listening knows about Kenny Stills already, but Kenny Stills and Martavis Bryant are both guys I'm watching out for this week because you're looking at Stills, especially for the matchups from now and the three weeks after this with Carolina, Chicago, and Atlanta, a great schedule to finish out the season. Absolutely. is He's in the conversation of being a must-start at this point already, as we saw his usage uh, without Brandon Cooks last week. But Bryant and Stills both bring the big playability, and it's funny how similar – that you see the Steelers and the Saints are is they've both attempted around the same amount of downfield passes. That's 20, 20 yards or more. And they both rank seventh in the league. They're tied for seventh in the league in allowing yardage of 20 plus to receivers. So they're both similarly aggressive and very susceptible at the same time to big plays. So I like Bryant and Stills as both potentially having a really big game, especially if they take one deep. Fair enough, fair enough. And I want to talk about someone that we talked about last week, and that's Jonas Gray. Four touchdowns against the Indianapolis Colts and then didn't really do too much against uh, last weekend for the Patriots. LeGarrette Blunt did a lot of the work. Are you dropping Jonas Gray? Is he done? Is it LeGarrette Blunt's team now? What do you go from here with both Jonas Gray and LeGarrette Blunt? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Jonas Gray owns about 24 alarm clocks now after what happened last week. <laughs> Absolutely. But 
I got to tell you, this is this is the Bilicek back, backfield. Nobody is done ever having value. It's always a potential that it could change in a given week. And, yes, it was the he didn't wake up for practice, so that's what kept him out. And the blunt signing, I, I think it was a surprise, even with him being familiar with the team, that he was used to that degree and scored the two touchdowns. So going forward, I don't think Jonas Gray is an outright drop. I think that I'd probably want to have Blunt ahead of him only because the team likes him, obviously. That's why they brought him back, and he's comfortable. He's had success there. He really should have never left success-wise. So I kind of think that he's got the leg up on Gray now, but I wouldn't be surprised if any given week, because we see it all the time from Bilicek, if it's Gray leading one week, Blunt one week, Vereen, and then maybe even James White gets in the mix because that's how he is. So uh, you know, they're all probably ownable at this point, but I'd have a huff, I'd have a tough time starting any of them. If there's somebody out there with more upside than those guys, I could see making the switch for Jonas Gray, like swapping him out for maybe a Dan Heron or a Latavius Murray. I know C.J. Anderson has a lot of upside after his big game against Miami. Um, with Hillman and Ball out, even if those two return, is C.J. Anderson the number one guy in Denver? I think it is. He's looked like the best running back all year long, and granted, Monty Ball's slate to start the season was really tough matchup-wise, but you got to say that Hillman looked better than Ball, and then Anderson's looked better than Hillman. So I think that even even if all three got back on the field, which it sounds like there's doubts of whether or not Hillman or Ball can make it back this year, but even if they are out there, I think Anderson's proven enough that he's the number one option, and he's somebody you can rely on, and it is an every-week start for you until they even return. Right now, he's an RB1 just because of the amount of touches he's going to have. And any time you're a running back next to Peyton Manning, you have tons of value. So I'm not concerned, even if they do return. I think that everybody who has Anderson has got a great late-season pickup to help their team. We're talking with Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com, part of our Fantasy Focus presented by Xbox One. Jake, how about two or three uh, guys worth picking up on the waiver wire this week? Yeah, we already mentioned Stills, and I assume that he's probably owned at, at this point probably in the majority of the leagues with people listening. Mm-hmm. And then I, I mentioned the running backs, too, with Dan Heron, Latavius Murray, if you need help there. So we'll go back to wide receiver, and I'll throw out the two names of the young guys that are looking really good. And it's John Brown in Arizona uh, with Larry Fitzgerald being questionable every single week and the fact that it's John Brown's already surpassed Michael Floyd especially with his rapport with Drew Stanton. I think that he's actually now the number one option there, brings downfield ability in that big play option like we were talking about with Stills before. So I think that John Brown is absolutely somebody that has upside for some matchups as you finish out the season. And then, again, because at this point I want those upside guys, I don't want the consistent wide receiver fives on my team because – they're not going to win me a championship. And so I'm looking at Charles Johnson in Minnesota. The way that he's been playing over the last two weeks, he was a darling of those analysts for that look at metrics during the draft. And he came over to Minnesota. And now that he's been getting an opportunity, he played ahead of Cordell Patterson last week. So another big size guy who's got a lot of ability. I think he could have some upside as well. All right. Uh, playoffs are, like I mentioned earlier, are starting in a lot of leagues. Some of them are coming down to the wire. I want to go to you with like a Dr. Phil moment right here. What is your best <laughs> playoff advice for people? I know some people you know, get a little carried away or get a little worried. Who should they start? Who should they sit? How, what's the best way to approach setting your lineup in the playoffs? That's, that's one of, what's going to be one of my points is don't overreact now that you're in the playoffs. It's every year – a number one seed is going to lose to number four, number six seed. It happens. That's why we play fantasy football. That's why we play the matches. But at the same time, 
more often than not, the reason I see teams losing is because they start to overanalyze and they get too cute and they look at, okay, who's got the best matchup this weekend? What kind of upside does he have? And should I start Zach Mettenberger over Matthew Stafford this week? And that's where you're making the mistakes is there's guys who got you to this point and there's people that are productive for the entire season and are in your lineup and you got to treat your lineup as if it's week seven, still play your best players. Yes, you can use matchups to tie break guys, but don't overreact to matchups and make the mistake of starting somebody with so much volatility over somebody who got you to this point. And at the same time, I talked about the upside is utilize your bench, go for your upside players and make sure you're handcuffing your running backs. Cause at this point of the season, if you lose a DeMarco Murray or a Jamal Charles and you don't have Randall or Niall Davis on your team, you're going to be in bad shape. So make sure you have your running back handcuffs now. Now's the time to make sure you're utilizing your bench in that fashion. I should have asked you this um, maybe a few weeks ago or so, but when you're looking at setting your lineup, for you personally and for maybe advice for other people, how much do you look at, you mentioned the matchups, how much do you look at matchups, how much do you look at rankings as far as positional rankings, and some people get thrown off with projections. You know, some of these ESPNs and other leagues project how many points. How much should you consider those things when setting your lineup? I don't really look at projections pretty much ever, honestly, because I think that that's really where you kind of get hung up is seeing those potential points. And, you know, those are based off of one or two people who have opinions of their rankings, but their rankings like anybody else has. I have my own rankings and, you know, I, I'm top five on fantasypros.com, but I'm still not perfect and I still miss on a lot. So if you go off one person's projections, that's going to skew things. So I look at matchups. I do do that a lot, and actually over on RedoExperts.com, I have a matchup column that comes out every single week that I rank the matchups by strength of schedule. And But when I do that, I do that for breaking ties. As I was saying, you know, if I'm trying to decide between two wide receivers that, in my opinion, are within a few spots of each other, maybe they're ranked 30 and 35, then I'll use the matchup to break that tie and maybe go with the guy who's ranked at 35 because his matchup's much better. But if I'm looking at a difference between – a wide receiver too, like a Odell Beckham who's emerged now, or a you know a Johnson who I just talked about picking up from the Vikings. I'm not, I'm not going to start Johnson over Beckham even if the matchup says so. So you've got to be smart, use the best guys. But when you got those tough decisions, that's when I'll start looking at you know the matchups, the projections, and rankings and stuff like that. Good stuff, great advice there, and uh, that's Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com, part of our fantasy focus. Presented by Xbox One. Jake, have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the family. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Oh, I definitely will. You do too. I will. Thank you very much. When we come back, Sean will wrap up this Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Tom Richards. I'm 35 years old, vice president of sales at a regional paper company. Six months ago, we decided to transition to one of those cool, collaborative open space offices. So now I sit in the open next to three other sales managers, which means there's nothing separating me from... (coughs) Not getting Carl's nasty cold and missing a sales opportunity this winter? That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the Immune Builder Smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to stay healthy this winter. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Be at the Smoothie King Center to see your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Tuesday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. when the Oklahoma City Thunder come to town. Plus, the first 5,000 fans receive a free Eric Gordon poster. The Pelicans Fest pregame block party tips off the fun at 5.30 with music, inflatable games for the kids, appearances by Pierre the Pelican, and a whole lot more. 
Tickets start as low as $24. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your seats today. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Well, as we know, there is a holiday here, obviously, with Thanksgiving tomorrow, but that doesn't mean that the Saints and the Pelicans will taking will be taking too much pause to celebrate. Both have big games this weekend. The Saints obviously have a full day today and tomorrow before traveling on Saturday to take on the Steelers. We'll have full coverage at NewOrleansSaints.com. John DeShazer and the crew at NewOrleansSaints.com have the fort hold, uh, held down for you. And we'll have uh, reports later on today and even tomorrow on Thanksgiving as to what the black and gold are doing in preparations for the Steelers. The Pelicans are practicing today. We'll do so again tomorrow before traveling tomorrow night to Atlanta to take on the Hawks on Friday. That's the next time we'll see you on the radio with the Pelicans Radio Network. That will be a 6.30 Central start on Friday evening from Phillips Arena in Atlanta. We'll look forward to bringing you that broadcast. Want to wish you and yours a very healthy and happy Thanksgiving. Everybody travel safe. Make smart decisions, please. And, of course, spend as much time as you can with your family and eat well. And I mean that in the holiday sense of the word (laughs) here over the next 24 to 48 hours in whatever evening or day part you are having your feast this week. We're thankful for so many things. Our guests today, for sure, Jim Henderson, David Wesley, Jake Seeley, and Daniel Salerson. And we're thankful as well for the... uh, chance to be with you each and every weekday we appreciate your listenership and we'll see you next week here on the black and blue report we'll be talking on monday about a pelicans road trip and hopefully a saints win over the steelers at heinz field on sunday afternoon until then happy thanksgiving everybody and uh, and we'll see you this weekend in various formats with regard to the pelicans and the saints i'm sean kelly saying so long for just a while Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back next week. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.